Hi, I'm Elise Kennedy. Welcome to Jardin's Startup Tech Series, where we host entrepreneurs, venture funds, and technology companies on trends across the industry. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Ivy Robinson, the CEO and founder of Social Tech platform Catalyzer. Thank you for joining me, Ivy. Thank you, Elise. Thanks for having me on the show. We're delighted to have you on here. Now, for start, this is a super interesting business, and I'm keen to hear a little bit more about where did it all start and what does it do? Yeah, sure. So thank you. I'm, I'm so pleased to be here talking about Catalyzer. We are a B2B SaaS platform for companies to manage, measure, and report on their corporate social responsibility programs, employee volunteering, and donation activities. So everything that a company does um, that's related to charity in the community, they can manage on Catalyzer. So my background is actually as a social sector professional. So I specialised in children's rights and working with marginalised young people. So I've worked with young people in care and young offenders to help them re-engage with education and employment. So you might ask, how did I come to be running a social tech company? Well, so Catalyzer was born just over five years ago. And because we looked at how companies were engaging with the social sector, and we realized that there was just so much value and opportunity being left on the table. And that realized, you know, that unrealized value was both on the company side, as well as on the charity side. So on the company side, companies were just getting very little business return from their CSR programs. You know, CSR programs were very much a nice to have. And on the charity side, heartbreakingly, the missed opportunities really equated to millions in donations, you know, private sector resources that were just not getting to those that really needed it. So, you know, what was the key problem? Well, everything to do with corporate social responsibility happening in companies was really manual. Mm -hmm. So when it came to activities like managing, you know, staff volunteering, corporate fundraising, pro bono projects, even in the largest companies, these these were all being managed very manually and I'm talking a sea of spreadsheets, forms being filled out by employees and then passed around, staff emails going out saying, you know, who wants to volunteer? And then, you know, when it came time to reporting, annual reporting, social reporting, there were literally requests, you know, going out saying, you know, please send me what your team has done this year. But, you know, at the same time, what was happening was employees particularly younger generations, so millennials and younger, you know, had started really shouting from the rooftops about how they want to work for companies that are purpose-driven, companies that have a social mission. They really want to work for employers that engage with the community and are taking a stance on social issues. So I guess the opportunity we saw was that there was just no true SaaS product built for enterprise in the CSR space. So we went about and built it. <laughs> so we yeah. built the Catalyzer platform. We built it so that it would live within enterprise's HR suite and it would integrate with the company's cloud tech stack and then also solve both sides of the problem. So on the company side, we really wanted to give companies a way to see that CSR could have a really strong business return. Yeah. So by investing in the community investing in social impact you know it's an important driver for brand reputation it really supports employee engagement and really helps to build customer trust and so their businesses can really get a significant amount of business value from investing in this space because CSR really speaks to who a company is, what it believes and how it's doing business. And so our software, you know, we designed it so that we would firstly, you know, increase efficiency. So firstly, automate everything that was happening manually. Then secondly, the big one was really solve disclosure and risk requirements. So companies need auditable data. They need that transparency, particularly when it comes to donations and anything involving charities. Um, and so our software then gives them that data and reporting. And the third area is really about engaging employees. 
And that's because everyone who goes to work wants to do more than their job. You know, they want to get behind causes. They like love supporting each other. There's marathons happening everywhere, moustaches, you know, it's all happening and people love getting behind it. And that really helps companies to attract and then retain good talent, um, particularly in the younger generations, because people want to build purpose-driven careers. And then I guess on the charity side, so what we set out to do was to create a platform that allowed charities to have direct and long-term access Mm -hmm. to corporates to get resources so not just donations but also professional skills um, with very little to no cost of fundraising and that was important because uh, we also saw a problem you know coming from the social sector I also saw a problem where there was a very sort of undemocratic way that was happening where it was just the large household name charities that were mainly getting the key corporate partnerships so how could we democratize that so that small progressive organizations who were really you know trying out and proving new models really innovative models of program delivery how could they connect with corporates so that was great and then I guess the last thing we set out to do on the charity side was to cause some disruption so a lot of platforms are taking a clip of donation so Catalyzer set out to prove that we don't do that and that we can still run a really viable business we don't charge charities any fees actually and we also don't charge to process payments so we are truly just assess software business right that's super interesting and i'm curious when you talk about some of your customers more so on the side that's the the revenue paying side who are those customers they smaller customers larger customers and what is that pricing model yeah sure so we have a great list of customers and we're very fortunate to work with some amazing employers so we've got leading employers like Deloitte, KPMG, Kinglewood Mallisons, and we've got a good strong representation across a broad range of industries. So we've got, you know, in the resource sector, Energy Australia, global tech companies like Iris, but government, government bodies like ASIC. We work in telecommunications with TPG Voter, Vodafone, and in the property industry with GPT. So we've got this really growing sort of client base of really leading employers who are very serious about wanting to run impactful CSR programs that also return, you know, benefits for the business. And yeah. our client base is now, we have users across 15 countries and we see that oh, growing right. all the time. So in terms of the um, model, we're a very straightforward SaaS business model. We charge per seat. So Catalyzer currently has 10 giving modules in our product and mm-hmm. most of our customers tend to start with the base platform with two giving modules and then they can add giving modules at any time. So we charge an annual subscription for the software, but then given that we work with some really, really large employers, some of them have sort of gone, preferred that normal procurement. So some of them do have sort of longer term, two to three year agreements. Fantastic. And how do you approach and capture and reach these customers? What's your marketing strategy? Yeah, sure. So, you know, so far we've been very fortunate that a lot of our traction has been inbound Mm. and a lot coming from customer referrals. So customers telling each other, you know, we love what these guys do, go check these out so that's been really great we haven't actually had any full-time marketers to date so that's something that we're just about to embark on in terms of building that function it's very exciting so we're looking really to grow that function the brand voice the brand awareness not only in domestically in Australia but really across the Asia region when we think about the industry do you think about hey this is the size of the potential that the market I am in and how is it growing? It's a really interesting space. So this industry, so I guess the social tech sector lives more broadly within largely the HR tech 
market because a lot of these sort of social activities live within HR and corporate affairs. So this area has, in the last five to 10 years, I would say has seen quite explosive growth. And I think there are two main factors driving this growth. So firstly, we all know enterprises, big companies, everyone wants better data, better automation. They want purpose-built tools for different functions. And I think the second thing is that widespread increase in cloud adoption. So huge, large-scale transition to complete cloud-based tech stacks. So we're really moving away from that, those on-prem legacy system. And what we've seen, so that movement to cloud means that, you know, companies can now really be really nimble with the way that they make their tech buying decisions. And they're no longer held hostage by, you know, the big long procurement, you know, with one of the tech giants for an on-prem 10-year solution. Instead, what we see is they're now picking and choosing very sort of custom developed tools like Catalyzer that really optimize engagement. And, you know, what's really interesting is that large companies now have over nine specific H SaaS tools in their stuff. And I guess what that tells us is they're really being very specific about shopping around and saying, look, we've got this specific problem we need to solve. Let's go and find the best in class to solve that. And because we're all SaaS, you know, they can really just add very easily to their yeah. Do you notice any differences between global markets? Yeah, look, I mean, for us, the opportunity is definitely in Asia. So mm. whilst I think the HR tech sector is growing everywhere. And I think what we can see is, for example, the levels of venture capital investment. So if we look at that in the HR tech space, you know, it's upwards of two and a half billion US dollars in one quarter alone. Like that is in HR tech platforms. So it's huge. And so for us or any software company that's helping companies to unlock more engagement, better employee experience, you know, there's this huge opportunity, particularly now when companies are working out this COVID normal remote reality, you know, they need systems in place because for us, you know, they can't just go and organize a, a fundraising event anymore or a volunteering day. They're really needing technology platforms to keep their staff engaged in community activities. And so I think when we look at different markets, we can look at the, I guess, the amount of money being spent out of an HR budget. And globally, it's about 10% of HR budgets being sent on, spent on tech. In Australia, it's actually a bit higher. So it's about 18% being spent on just technology. Companies are now spending around $310 per employee per year just on HR tech tools. So you could see how big the opportunity is, but the strongest addressable market that we have is in Asia. And that's because the curve is so much steeper. So cloud adoption, it's coming from lower base, as in, you know, a lot of the enterprises are much younger than established markets like North America, Europe. So younger enterprises, but the speed at which they're adopting cloud is, you know, fast outpacing, you know, these more established markets. So that's a really interesting thing for us. And I guess we also see that there are so many trends in our space, so ESG space, that are also, you know, driving growth in this area. Yeah, I think it's really interesting how you point out COVID having impacted the culture and accelerated some of those digital trends. We've definitely seen that across our listed space. And obviously, you as a SaaS business are privy to all of those types of trends. And thinking of, thinking about that competitive landscape, who do you see as your main competitor? Yeah, so Catalyzer is a global platform. So we have global capability when it comes to our features. And so we see our main competitors as being in North America. The US market is where corporate giving is quite an entrenched norm. So I would say, you know, all the Fortune 500 are doing quite a sophisticated employee giving, corporate giving program. And they're probably about five to 10 years ahead of practices in corporate Australia. So, you know, just a bit ahead of us in terms of that curve. So there are some players there. Last year, our sector had one uh, player in Canada reached unicorn status, which 
They've been around for 15 years, which is, you know, three times as long as Catalyzer. Um, but we really felt those ripples in a really positive way. And so what that meant for us was that we really benefited from, I guess, the lift in market education. So we were having continuous conversations with potential customers. That market education just grew mm-hmm. and also, you know, a lot of increased investor awareness and attention to our space. Yeah. So it really acted as a rising tide for us. But the reality, Elise, is that for us, for Catalyzer, the market is still quite greenfields in many jurisdictions, mainly Asia. So that's where we're heading. And there just aren't that many platforms that are true SaaS that enable companies to do what we help them to do with that global capability. And so, look, that's what's exciting us. And, and, you know, we're really working hard then to increase that comparative advantage because You know, I think even though there are some global players, they don't have a very strong footprint in Asia. And so really, it's a really open race to see who can get there first. Do you say it's more about that first mover advantage and particularly as you see the opportunity in Asia or are there other potential barriers to entry? For example, your relationships with other charities and all the technology side what keeps other new entrants from coming in so in terms of barriers to entry look social tech is not currently a super deep tech play Mm -hmm. so you know you can sort of imagine that there are new entrants coming into the market but I think Mm -hmm. probably the most important barrier to entry is because establishing trust as a brand in our space takes time Yep. So this is more important in corporate social responsibility than, for example, other transactional H areas like, say, staff scheduling or software for workflow management. So when a, when a corporate wants to buy a platform that's going to help them in corporate social responsibility, that trust in that brand and that, you know, those customer testimonials, that longevity of being in market, I think that is very important because we're talking about, you know, partnering with charities, employees making donations. So they really need to be able to trust. And I think for us, Catalyzer has invested a lot in enterprise level security, data mm-hmm. privacy. You know, there are some B2C tools out there. You know, there's lots mm-hmm. of crowdfunding websites. There's loads of B2C style websites and tools in the space. In terms of meeting enterprises' growing requirements when it comes to security, data privacy, everything like that, you know, I think that is a strong barrier to entry as well. It really comes down to those two things, I think, brand trust, and reputation as well as as being able to meet those enterprise requirements when it comes to to security yeah you can certainly see those two as very important factors and hopefully those marketing dollars i think will only accelerate that that brand positioning hope so (laughs) (laughs) and thinking about the economics of the business obviously when you're in that startup phase it's always a lot of investment but if you think about the trends over three five maybe even ten years given you're so early in that opportunity where do you think the biggest cost is today and where should that trend over time? So cost-wise, we're a SaaS business. So, you know, like many, the majority of our costs are labour costs and that's all about building and maintaining not just the right team but the right team for right now. And given that we're in a growth stage, you know, chain, keeping that team evolving and changing is, is a continual priority for us. But we are a business with very high sales efficiency. So we really focus on managing our costs, our cost of acquisition very closely. And I mentioned before, you know, much of our growth today has been inbound. And so we've been able to demonstrate a very strong game today in terms of managing costs and continuously seeing our gross margin increase. So, you know, I think something that's very familiar to you in in the industry is the SaaS magic number. So, you know, the industry sort of measure of sales efficiency, you know, it's basically, you know, you take 
quarterly growth in annual recurring revenue and we divide it by the amount of money we're spending on sales and marketing. But Catalyze, in our last quarter, we achieved, you know, a level of 1.2. You know, the median is 0.8. And so we see good sales efficiency being maintained and and we have a a clear plan to grow that, you know, right up to 1.9 and maintain it there. And I think the other thing that fed into that is that we have had zero churn. So zero churn from recurring customers, very exciting. You know, we're so <laughs> proud of that. Proven that really sticky, you know, and good customer lifetime value. So we're hoping we can keep that up. That's what we're really working hard to do. In terms of our of a sort of continued investment, I guess, what we're looking to do is, you know, grow. So the next two to three years, it's really a growth plan that's focused very much on new market, geographically focused growth plan. Our focus is expansion into Asian markets. We've already started building a team in Hong Kong. That's very exciting to have boots on the ground there. And we now have this sort of sales flywheel, you know, and we can start investing in that also, you know, the marketing function. So this is, I guess, where we're going to continue in terms of, you know, the product to platform. Yes, you're right, you know, upfront to get it from scratch to a to a stable product, you know, that R&D is intensive, but I think that starts to taper off, you know, because once you reach that stability and we're continuously developing the product, but it's not quite as intensive as it was. I think you mentioned there was nine modules you kind of start with two as kind of the average of that. So when we think about those lifetime value drivers and all the R&D side, one is how are those modules increasing usage? of those from those existing customers and then two does it require more R&D to keep on building out from the nine that you have now so like you said you know most of our customers start with two sometimes three modules what we see is that year on year as customers grow um, CSR program because you know once you put technology you can do more with the same resources so even if you've only got say two headcount managing your CSR program once you've got that automation, you know, you can start branching out and starting a volunteering program where you previously didn't without adding extra resources on the business side. Or for example, you could expand your CSR program to now include employees around the world. And so they can scale and grow their program as well as their social impact using the technology. So as they bring on new modules, it's a really exciting thing. We've invested very heavily in customer support and success and our customers are constantly telling us that they see us as so much more than a technology provider. You know, they really see us as a partner. Developing that strategy, helping to maintain those levels of engagement from their employees, maintaining and, and um, you know, keeping up that level of comms within the organisation, the visibility of their program, I think is really important. But, you know, all of our customers have continued to upsell in that way. They're, for example, expanding licences to new jurisdictions, so adding licences. And it's just a great journey to be. And Catalyzer, you know, we started with four modules. We now have the 10. In terms of the R&D involved, we are constantly releasing new features. You know, each month we are releasing new features. But some of the modules that we're starting to build have really been co-created with some of our clients as well. You know, I think partnerships is a really important path to go down in, and integrations. So, you know, we're starting to build really strong integrations with other workplace tools like Facebook, you know, Okta for user provisioning, Salesforce. We're trying to make Catalyze meet employees where they're at. And so if they're getting all their comms on Facebook workplace, then that's where we want to be. And that helps to maintain that that level of adoption and engagement. Sure, some of the most successful platforms which we've seen in the tech landscape has come from that open source, as you say, about integrating with a lot of those other best in breed. It just 
is enables the consumer to do a lot more. Definitely. And it gets them and it really tells them that what they've already invested in, they can continuously get more value out of. And it's a mutually beneficial situation for us because it drives users back to our app as well. Exactly. Yes, it creates that good ecosystem impact. Definitely. Thinking about MAs, uh, we always ask this question: what appetite do you have to perhaps grow in organically? Yeah, so look, everything's on the table, Elise. We've grown as a business. I think definitely in the experience that we've had, you just don't know where opportunities are going to come from next. And so I think it's really important to just be open to that. You know, we, we're very fortunate that we have this client base. Like yeah. you said, you know, they are expanding their subscriptions, they are upselling. So there's a good challenge there for us. So how do we keep our offering, you know, meeting clients' evolving needs? So this, for corporate social responsibility, a lot of this is about the increasing maturity of their program. Yeah. So as they run these really impactful programs, what does social impact actually mean for them? What does, you know, how does it feed into their broader ESG sustainability, you know, how are they integrating with the sustainable development goals? So Catalyzer, for example, enables tracking across activity against sustainable development goals. You know, it's a really important thing that that companies are now wanting to include in their reporting. And um, I think more broadly, you know, we see a lot of these macro sort of tailwinds in the ESG space that's driving growing demand for our offering. And I just might mention, you know, there's a few really key things that is happening in ESG, um, particularly around reporting. So got a real top-down pressure that's coming from sort of global tightening of regulation to sustainability and companies needing that those transparent, auditable data trails they want to invest in systems they don't want paper-based processes anymore and you know whether it's mandatory or voluntary reporting instruments these really you know I think disclosure of social environmental practices is really increasing we see a lot of the major Asian markets in ESG you know making reporting a listing requirement now we see the rise of a lot of sustainability indices and reporting frameworks we see them growing in importance so we're seeing this across hong kong india uh, taiwan japan so many different markets we're seeing these trends and even within esg reporting it's very clear that the increase in social reporting is outpacing for example the increase in environmental practice reporting and i think that's because you know social practices which we fall into with corporate social responsibility they're they're much more immediate and straightforward implement and they don't require that same level of capital investment that um, you would need say if you were going to change the environmental footprint of your company you know that takes a lot more capital investment than say starting a CSR program so I think we're seeing that these sort of reporting trends disclosure trends you know, these are all really driving demand what we've got. And then I guess on the other side, you also see a bottoms up pressure. So you yeah. see, and that's very real, employees, consumers demanding that companies now prove that they're good corporate citizens. You know, they show that they've got clean supply chains, that they're giving back to the community. You know, Catalyzer, for example, is a B Corp company, you know, em- Consumers are now aware of what these certifications are and and it's driving their choices. So um, there's so much motivation for a company to to really step up their game, I guess, in CSR and ESG. And, you know, coming back to your question about M&A, this ESG family, you know, we really live within that S space, but I think company investment is holistic. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity for collaboration, whether it's partnerships, whether it's, you know, becoming a unified suite 
you know, there's so much in that opportunity in that space and it's such an exciting space to watch, you know, this whole yeah. year, moving very quickly. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. We had this discussion before. You said there's a lot of company metrics coming out in the ESG on the E and the J, uh, but sometimes that S isn't perhaps as transparent. So that's an exciting opportunity, which, as you say, has a long runway for growth by the sounds of it. Absolutely. I mean, we've really got to wait, get away from these sort of woolly social reporting stories and, and really start to, to bring that kind of level of, of data robustness and rigor that, you know, is being applied to the E and the G. As a financial analyst, you say rigor and metrics and oh, sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> and just one last question for you, Ivy. You're a female entrepreneur and in a groundbreaking industry. I'm keen for other entrepreneurs. If you had one similar, you know, strategy or tip, what would it be? Yeah, so look, it's an interesting space, you know, interesting time to be a woman in tech. But something that we've learned that, you know, has really become a mantra for myself and, and my co-founder so two female co-founders um, you know what we constantly remind ourselves is to stay in our lane. and I think that's a very it's proven to be very good for us because the startup world can be a very very noisy place now that can be good on the one hand it can be very motivating it can also be very distracting and you know if you're going to focus on you know we're minority women and we're women so there's lots of different types of ceilings that we have it can be distracting it can be disheartening so I think, you know, we're constantly reminding ourselves to just come back, stay in our lane, because at the end of the day, Catalyzer, you know, we have strong domain expertise, we have proven market fit, great customers, like we love our customers, great family of customers and a clear plan. And every time we've sort of been able to re come back, come back to that focus, have that clarity, it's, it's proven to be the true north for us. So I think, you know, particularly as women founders, there is a lot of noise, but, you know, really important to just stay in your lane, know what you, you're here to do and, and just do it. Absolutely. Yeah. Stay in your lane. I'll take that one on board with all <laughs> the market noise we can be privy to as well. Yeah, exactly. Well, thank you again, Ivy Robinson, the CEO and founder of social tech platform Catalyzer. We are very appreciative of your time and we can't wait to circle around over the next couple of months and see what success you've had. Thank you, Elise. It's been so great speaking with you.